And so, you know, it's, it's tough to balance that persona that is more of kind of a public persona with, of course, the feelings that you have where you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can actually do this, or I, this is something I'm really questioning myself around. Showing up and being seen can be a real mind bender. Every post we make on Instagram, every video we record for YouTube, every blog post we write, every email we send, every client consultation we do, they can all feel like an invitation to have others judge whether we have our shit together or not. So we work really hard to present as polished, professional, and confident. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Looking polished, professional, and confident, whatever that means to you, well, that's great. But it becomes a problem when the image you're trying to portray becomes disconnected from what you actually feel. What happens when I show up looking like a powerhouse but feeling like an imposter? You're listening to What Works, the show that brings you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today without the hype or gimmicks. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, I can tell you exactly what happens to me when I show up looking like a powerhouse and feeling like an imposter. I end up hiding. Sometimes I literally hide in my hotel room, away from social media, ghosting on relationships. Sometimes I hide more metaphorically, maybe not setting clear goals or not saying what I really mean. It's at these times when finding my confidence, trusting myself, and showing up to be seen is most important. Now, my guest today is facing challenges like these head on. Her name is Dr. Katie Linder, and she's the creator of the Radical Self-Trust podcast channel. Katie developed the Radical Self-Trust framework as a way of helping herself and her clients source a new level of trust and confidence in themselves so they can overcome any obstacle. I wanted to find out the personal and professional challenges that led Katie to documenting this process, and of course, I wanted to hear more about the process itself. Katie and I talk about the self-doubt she struggled with initially while launching her business. We talk about how she balances the public persona of confidence with lingering self-doubt, and we talk about how showing up and sharing actually gives her confidence. We also discuss the radical self-trust framework and how it can be used to discover a new path forward. This candid conversation with Katie is part of a whole series we're doing here at What Works on Confidence. We want to shed light on how small business owners continue to find confidence long after they've taken the leap to get started. Throughout this month, you'll hear about finding the confidence to come back after a major loss, experiment and iterate, stick with the plan, and regularly level up. When we're not posting new conversations here on the podcast, we're sharing personal essays and reflections from What Works Network members on how they find the confidence to take the next step. To get the full series delivered to your inbox and check out what we've already released, go to explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. That's explorewhatworks.com slash confidence. Now, let's find out what works for Katie Linder. Katie Linder, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks, Tara. It's really fun to be here. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about radical self-trust. And radical self-trust is a a philosophy that you have developed, that you coach your clients through. Um, And we're going to dig into all of that throughout this interview. But I wanted to start off by kind of setting the stage Uh, by having you talk about a time that maybe you didn't trust yourself or a time when you felt a little disconnected from your own self-confidence and what happened because you didn't. 
Sure. So the thing that kind of immediately comes to mind is when I was first launching my business, I had so much imposter syndrome (laughs) around Mm -hmm. this. And I think this is something that probably some of your listeners can relate to. Um, But I come out of academia and higher ed, and it's really not a place for self-promotion. It's not a place that encourages it. And actually, it kind of actively discourages it. And so knowing that I was going to be launching this business where I would have to market things and really put myself out there was really kind of a scary thing. And I remember the night that I went and met with my lawyer for the first time to kind of get my um, LLC set up. And I just remember after that meeting thinking, what am I doing? Like this, you know, this feels so outside of my comfort zone. And my self-doubt is often rooted in worrying about what other people will think. Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of actively, you know, work against that. And so what I ended up doing actually is I came home and I'm a podcaster. And so I actually just turned on my mic and I podcasted about it and I shared what it felt like to have that imposter syndrome and what I planned to do about it, which was basically like, I'm going to sleep on this. I'm going to see how I feel in the morning. Like I'm feeling a lot of doubt right now, but I know it's going to take some time for me to embrace what for me was really a whole new identity of being a business owner. And at that time, I didn't know what radical self-trust was. I hadn't named it. I hadn't really thought about it as a model, but I was clearly trying to model it for my audience. You know, it was something that was already part of my work. And eventually, of course, with more experience with my business, I was able to take on that identity with a lot more confidence. But I think anytime we have one of those transition moments, whether it's in our business or our personal lives, where we're taking on a pretty major new identity we're going to feel that lack of confidence and that lack of self-trust and really that questioning of, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And we kind of have to just do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. What was the response to that podcast episode? You know, anytime I get pretty vulnerable with my audience, the response is always amazing. I mean, it's usually around a topic that other people really feel too. And so, of course, people were like, I get this. Like, I, I mean, everyone feels imposter syndrome. Everyone feels this self-doubt, this questioning. And, you know, I think sometimes I present as pretty confident. And so whenever I'm like, you know, I feel this too, I think people really respond to that well. And of course, they're always very kind and supportive. So I have a wonderful audience. I mean, it's, I have a lot of people who connect with me. Um, I recently started asking them to write me letters and I've been getting letters from all over the world, um, which has just been so fun. So connecting with that audience and sharing that vulnerability has been a really important part. Yeah. Can we talk about uh, what you said about presenting as pretty confident? Because I run into this as well, (laughs) where whenever I share something vulnerable or share where I feel less than confident, people are like, whoa, but you seem to have all your stuff together and you look so confident all the time. And I'm like, kind of. (laughs) Um, And so I, I love hearing that from you too. And I wonder how you... And I don't have a fully formed question here because I'm sort of just reacting to this like me too kind of experience right now. But um, I'm I'm curious how you re- balance or deal with that disconnection between people seeing you as confident and knowing that under the surface there is still always self doubt. Of course. Well, and I think like this is where like our humanity and the connection between like we're all human, like we're all going to feel these feelings. Um, But I think the challenge and, and you've really like put your finger on it. 
part of my brand is, you know, now this radical self-trust, um, but it, it is a form of confidence. And so when I'm out kind of in the world in a public way, whether I'm speaking or podcasting or on a webinar or, you know, doing something where people are seeing me talk about something, I'm often presenting as an expert. Um, and that's something that is part of my academic life. It's part of my business. And I think that there's a lot of confidence in that, you know, like you have to have that in order to kind of get up in front of a room and say the things that you're saying or express the ideas that you have in a way that is going to really draw people into that. And so, you know, it's, it's tough to balance that persona that is more of kind of a public persona with, of course, the feelings that you have where you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can actually do this or I, this is something I'm really questioning myself around. But I guess the way that I always think about it, and I know that not everybody kind of agrees with this philosophy, but I typically wait until I have like felt the feelings, done the thing and come out on the other side. It's pretty rare for me to share in the moment, and like I did with the imposter syndrome um, podcast episode that I mentioned, that I'm like dealing with something right now that's really challenging. I'm one of those people who likes to deal with a thing privately figure it out and then come back around and say, okay, so I have this situation and maybe you can relate to it. And here are the solutions that I came up with. And I think that that part, part of that kind of fits really well into my brand that is more of the confidence side, because I can kind of figure things out and then share with you what the answer is, or at least what worked for me. But also, you know, I, I think that, and this is something that Brene Brown has talked about a lot, if you're familiar with her work, that it's not always great to like, share in the moment what you're feeling, you know, like that sometimes you need to wait and process it. And other people do an awesome job of sharing in the moment, mm -hmm. but I'm not one of those people. So I think that for my brand, what works well is for me to, you know, go through the experience, figure out the lessons, and then share the lessons in a really explicit way. Yeah, that is exactly my approach too. So again, I'm feeling very validated that I am not the only one <laughs> who works that way or experiences those things. Um, okay, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about this idea of radical self-trust. Was there a particular day or a time in your life when you felt like you took a really big step towards finding radical self-trust for yourself? So I think radical self-trust is really about self-acceptance. It's a constant practice. It's kind of like meditation or yoga. Like you don't kind of experience this thing of having it and then it's done. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's constantly going deeper into knowing yourself, being loyal to your own instincts. And so I can really think the time that kind of immediately comes to mind for this is I used to kind of actively hide things that I thought would not be accepted by other people. And a good example is like, I am a pretty productive person. I like to work on the weekends. I'm really passionate about my work. And so I would work a lot. And when people would find that out, they would be like, you are a workaholic. You know, why aren't you resting more? And I don't vacation in the way that other people vacation. You know, like I, I'm just kind of different in that way. I have a lot of capacity to do a lot of work and I just rest in a different way than a lot of people rest. And I was having a lot of self out because I loved my work. But I thought like, what if something is wrong with me? Because I don't do this in the way that other people do this. And one day I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to apologize for this. Like this is part of who I am, my capacity for work and my trust in that capacity to do large volumes of work. It's actually kind of a superpower for me. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay that other people don't have this thing. And it doesn't really matter if other people don't understand it. It's part of who I am. So when I started kind of actively sharing out my process in a way that was more public, and I do this through things like, you know, Instagram stories or social media, I actually found that this was one area 
of my research, my business, that is a way that I model radical self-trust because I'm sharing tactics and strategies that could be helpful for other people. And it actually became a really large part of my content strategy for my business. So it's a lot of ways, I think, you know, when it comes to taking a step toward finding radical self-trust is really embracing those part of your, those parts of yourself that feel a little bit different than other people and saying like, that's okay. Like those kind of unique contributions should be celebrated, should be kind of emphasized in your work and not necessarily hidden from other people just because you're concerned about what they might think. Got it. All right. So I want to learn more about how you actually created the radical self-trust framework in a second, but I also don't want to let it pass that you mentioned kind of sharing your process and sharing and, and modeling through like Instagram stories and things like that. Can you give us an example of maybe something that you've posted recently that was a way for you to model the RST framework for your 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 fans or your your audience? So one example um, that's actually still in my Instagram stories, I saved it um, in my profile, was last summer, I put together a new product for my business. I was building an online course. And I took a really deep dive into this course. It took me a couple of months to do. It had a lot of videos. It had a lot of content. I created a workbook. And I was showing people how I was designing it as I went along. And, and this is one of those areas, again, that feels like a superpower for me. I love design. I love breaking things down into small pieces for my clients. I like taking complex things and making them feel approachable. And so I basically documented this entire process of how I put together this course and all along the way, you know, like just the labor that went into this. And I had people who were purchasing the course from watching that. I mean, like it became a kind of content marketing, but really it was a way of showing like, this is something that not everybody can do. This is my superpower, which is one kind of element of cultivating radical self-trust is nurturing your superpowers. And so anytime I take something in my life, that's like, this is where I thrive. Like you're watching me, like my passion is like overflowing. Like you're seeing me really thrive in this space. It's one way of modeling radical self-trust because you just get caught up in like this moment of flow. And so the story is called design flow because it's basically showing you like a behind the scenes, how I put this together. And I share tools and I share strategies and things like that. But I'm also really just giving you a glimpse into this is really me when I'm at my prime and when I'm really thriving and doing my own kind of work. Oh my God. I love that so much. <laughs> I love, I seriously love that so much. That is such a huge takeaway just as a way of, of, you know, obviously for so many of our listeners, I think there's um sort of a mental block around how they want to show up, how they want to share. And the that idea of, of a directive around showing up where you thrive or sharing, showing up in the process in which you thrive. Oh, I think that is such a huge takeaway for people. I am going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day and probably much longer than that um, because I know that I do that. And at the same time, I have never heard anyone put it quite that way. And I think it's really really powerful as an overall kind of guiding principle for how you approach social media. Now, I know that I think, again, a lot of people would hear, oh, you you shared the whole process behind creating this course. Weren't you afraid that someone was going to steal it? Were you afraid that someone was going to poke holes in it, that they were going to find out what was wrong with it in the process of you creating it? Did you ever have those kind of moments of fear or lack of self-trust in that process? Or did you feel kind of in the flow the whole time? 
Well, I think there's always going to be moments of like, especially when you're building a new product or service where you're like, this could totally flop. Like I'm putting so much time into this. And what if nothing happens? Like what if nobody buys it? What if nobody wants it? Um, But this was something that had really come out of a lot of what I was hearing from my audience about what they needed. And I knew I actually had people who were like, can you create this? Like you're the person that we think would be good to create this. And it was a real um, kind of connection between my background with research, my background with course design, um, my background with kind of a passion for teaching and learning and higher education. And so it was like all these things coming together where I could see how my background, my experience all kind of combined into a place where right now I was the person to create this course. Like it made sense um, in terms of my credibility, the experience that I had and my network in terms of how I could kind of combine and blend a lot of information into one place. And so I definitely went into it with confidence, but of course there was those moments, especially the more time you sink into something. And really I was working on this, you know, at all times of the day and night. Like I was, it was a heavy travel period for me. I was like writing video scripts on the plane. I mean, I was like crazy, but by the time I got done with it, I was so proud of the product and I was having so much fun. And I think that that's the piece that is really important. You know, when I talk with people about how do you do marketing in a way that feels comfortable? Because I I work with some small business owners and they're like, I don't know how to do this, especially academics. Like they really struggle with marketing. And I start with share your process because that's the part that you're passionate about, you're excited, and it feels a lot more genuine and natural to share out something that you're actively working on and that you think is really fun. So I think that that's a piece of this that, you know, I always share the background and the behind the scenes because it's one way of really naturally marketing a new product that I'm working on without having to really think carefully about, okay, you know, what are, what's all the messaging, you know, that I want to put out on Twitter or whatever, you know, I can just actively say I'm working on this thing. It's so much fun. I'm really enjoying myself. And don't you want to come along for the ride? And it's a really invitational way, I think, of inviting people into your work. Ah, I freaking love it. You'll hear about the ins and outs of Katie's radical self-trust framework in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Want to know the secret to creating more impact with your business while working less? Connect the people you care about to each other. Bringing people together is the magic ingredient in every success story in the digital age. Think about it. If you create connections between your followers and offer value through those interactions, your brand gets more useful with each new person who connects. When you bring people together, you're creating something much bigger than yourself, your podcast, your YouTube channel, or your Instagram feed. The savviest influencers, podcasters, content creators, educators, and entertainers are focusing on how they can connect their fans and followers to each other, not just build an audience. And that's where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks gives you the power to connect the people you care about most, your followers, fans, and customers. And it acts as the central hub of your business operations, bringing your content, courses, relationships, messaging, events, and even payment processing together in one platform. We use Mighty Networks to power the What Works Network. We've seen firsthand just how much more value we can create by helping small business owners connect, build relationships, trade notes, and deep dive on their most pressing business challenges. And Mighty Networks has drastically streamlined our workflows too. Ready to connect your followers and create a lasting impact? It's time to get started with Mighty Networks. Get started free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. 
What Works is also brought to you by the What Works Network. Are you craving more grown-up talk about running a small business? The What Works Network is where small business owners like you talk shop without the drama, hype, or get-rich-quick promises. The network is full of the people you hear from on the podcast, including today's guest, Katie Linder, as well as Abby Herman, Amy Scott, Michael Karsh, Ellie Trier, Rachel K. Albers, and more. Our members talk about challenging customer scenarios, how to manage their money around big investments, the mindset block they know they need to overcome to grow their businesses and the challenges of a quickly changing market. This month, the network has been full of honest and rich conversations about confidence and how our confidence or lack thereof impacts us as business owners. As a member of the What Works Network, not only do you get access to our private, dedicated conversation space for talking about both big challenges and everyday nitty-gritty details, you get our monthly Flash Mastermind meetings so you can get real-time feedback from members. You get our monthly community roundtable discussions so you can deep dive on the month's theme. You get monthly What Works Insider Hours where I answer your questions and talk about behind-the-scenes details. And you get our quarterly virtual conversations conferences where we spend the day together and go in depth on things like building your audience, managing your money, or setting your goals. We'll be accepting new members soon. To be the first to hear when we open the doors, go to explorewhatworks.com slash network and sign up to be notified. That's explorewhatworks.com slash network. Okay. Awesome. I feel like we need to back up a little bit because we've talked about radical self-trust sort of uh, or we've talked around radical self-trust quite a bit, but I want to get into actually what the framework is and how you came to create it. So what led you to creating the radical self-trust framework? So it actually came out of a lot of frustration. I, you know, I'd heard um, about, you know, people finding their why for their business. And I was reading Simon Sinek's work on Start With Why, and I couldn't figure out my why. And I was, I was really bothered by that because I would have clients who would come to me and say, you know, I want to work with you for particular reasons, but they were all giving me different reasons. And I was like, how am I supposed to figure out what is like this magnetism that is drawing clients in when they're all telling me different stuff? Like I couldn't figure out what it was that was kind of like my secret sauce. And so I, I was in the process of getting a coaching certification. So I was working with master coaches and I worked with a coach for about four months and it was a mental grind. Like I was really trying to figure this out. And the thing that worked for me that was a really concrete um, activity that I give to some of my coaching clients is I started with writing down words and phrases that really resonated with me. And then I moved them around. Um, Simon, Simon Sinek has this kind of what, how, and why framework. And I was kind of just testing out you know, what if the stuff that I thought was my why was really my what? What if it was like the benefits that come out of working with me? Like, how can I kind of move these words and phrases around? And I have these massive whiteboards in my office. And I I just wrote a bunch of stuff on the whiteboards. And I would just look at them and kind of try to figure out where do all these pieces fit? And then I had this 12 minute walking commute every morning, I have a full time day job, and I would just walk in, reflect, literally take notes on my phone, like try to figure this thing out. And this went on for about four months. And one day, this radical self-trust idea kind of clicked into place. And I was thinking about it really as one's capacity for steadfast self-awareness, self-loyalty. And I was able to articulate six different methods for how I cultivated that. But the thing that was really interesting, and for anyone who's familiar with Simon Sinek's work, the thing that really challenged me in this 
was I feel like there are two levels to radical self-trust. There is the philosophy itself, which is a general thing that anyone can connect to. But then there's the way that I kind of cultivate it in my own life. And so I was getting really confused between how I am kind of emulating and modeling radical self-trust and the larger philosophy that I wanted to share with other people. And as soon as I realized it wasn't really like a 2D problem, it was a 3D problem. And I had to like separate out these layers. That's when it immediately clicked into place for me. And so when I talk with other business owners about this, I, I ask them, do you have something that you're working through that is something you're trying to actually emulate for your clients, but the way that you're modeling it is going to be personal to you. You're not telling them that they should do exactly what you're doing. You might have this layer that if you back up, it's actually kind of a meta layer that you're kind of, it's more generalizable to other people. So that was something that it confused me for a long time when it came to radical self-trust. And as soon as I was able to separate out the personal part from what I wanted to kind of give as a more generalizable theory to other people, that's when everything kind of clicked into place for me. Oh my God. Okay. Preach first of all. And second of all, I think, again, I think that is an incredible takeaway for people because I think you have articulated exactly where so many people get stuck in figuring out what their special sauce is because they confuse it they confuse their personal execution with, as you said, a more meta kind of overarching philosophy that then they can teach to others or share with others. And I know I have gotten stuck there many, many times. Um, I absolutely love that. Okay. Um, I'm curious, I, you know, I think that this process of, of documentation and, and for you even, like you said, realizing that it was a 3D problem instead of a 2D problem and, and uh, being able to separate your personal execution from the overarching philosophy. I think this process of unpacking these things also impacts the way we use our own ideas in our own lives. Like we become more aware of them and then our personal execution starts to evolve. So how has the process of documenting this framework actually impacted the way you experience your own self-confidence and radical self-trust? So I would say first, it's given me a really strong sense of direction. So I actually use the framework to plan out my 2019 vision and goals. So it works as kind of a practical tool. And there are you know six different ways of cultivating radical self-trust that I've outlined. And we can link to something in the show notes that kind of yep. shows people what these are. But a couple examples are seeking self-knowledge, um, practicing loving kindness toward yourself and towards others. And so I was able to basically take each of these six things and say, how do I want to practice this this year? Like, what does this look like in my life and my business? And so I can really use it as a practical tool in that way. I can also use it on a daily basis to think about whether I'm aligning things like my to-do list with my larger vision. So I think it's it becomes something that is really easy to kind of implement in a day-to-day basis, which is why I think it also works well as a coaching tool. But the other thing that I think it did was it gave a name to something that I was doing and it made it a lot easier to talk about it with clients because you could see radical self-trust as being something like ego, but it's not ego. It's it's self-trust. It's kind of trust in your capacity to do difficult things. And so it, it was something that I was practicing, but I didn't have a name for. And so once I had a name for it, it really made it um, a lot more clear in terms of explaining my own actions 
but also it's really attracted more clients who are drawn to the idea of radical self-trust and who wouldn't want more of that in their lives. You know, they want to work on cultivating this. So it's been a really interesting um, area of my business in terms of really being able to model something, but then also help other people to figure out what does this look like in your life and what it looks like in your life could be really different than what it looks like in mine. So I was thinking about this with you, Tara, because I've been following along with your journey about climbing Mm -hmm. and you do so much like wonderful sharing about this on Instagram. And I, this to me is one area of radical self-trust that I call playfully experimenting where you're taking these kind of creative risks in order to learn more about yourself and the world around you. And as soon as I started you seeing you kind of play around with climbing, I was like, oh, you're playfully experimenting with this. Like you're trying different workouts. You're trying these different things to kind of see what works for you. And it was such a fun model. Like I'm, I, everyone's so drawn into that. Like we want to see you playfully experiment with that because you're learning so many lessons as you go through the process of learning how to climb and how to be better. And now you're teaching it. I mean, like there's so many fun layers to that. So I think that, you know, I'm not a climber, but I can completely connect with this idea of playfully experimenting and learning more about yourself through that process. Yeah. I love that you point that out too, because I always like... Oh, I have said to my husband, I don't know how many times, well, you know, I'm just not a person that likes to have fun. <laughs> and and like the idea of play that I see so many people talking about, like it doesn't resonate with me. I've never been like someone who plays games, but I do play sports, right? Mm-hmm. And like I I absolutely can see how my my uh kind of reengagement with fitness has been a process of playfully experimenting. I think you completely hit the nail on the head of why it's been so transformational to me. Um, So thank you for that. Um, I think we've got plenty of time and I would love to have you kind of go through those six pieces of the radical self-trust framework, if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind at all. So um, the first one is seeking self-knowledge. And this is kind of when you have deeper reflection on your personality, your core values, your strengths, your weaknesses, and maybe even like your life's purpose. And one of the things that I think is actually really helpful about radical self-trust is the more you know about what's good for you and, and maybe what you don't do so well, the easier it is to kind of outsource things, especially in your business. If you're like, this is really not a strength of mine, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to accept that and I'm going to have someone else do it for me. Um, so seeking self-knowledge is number one. The second one is living core values with intention. And this is about trying to align what you believe to be important with the actions that you take on a daily basis. And so I often talk with clients about a process called crosswalking, where we take your to-do list and we look at your values and we say, are your values reflected in what you're doing every day? Um, And do you feel like you're really living those core values with intention? Uh, The third area I call nurturing your superpowers. And this is purposely investing in and honing your strengths so that you feel like they're really improving your life's work and that they're noticeable to others. So you're really starting to kind of put yourself out there and share the kinds of things that are the things that you are kind of unique to you. And I often think of superpowers as kind of the combination of when your values and your kind of strengths or abilities start to overlap. And they start to amplify each other in really interesting ways. So for example, some of my superpowers, I'm a systems thinker, I'm a design-based thinker, and you really can see that in my work. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see it across several different areas of my day job, my side business, you know, all it comes out in lots of different ways. So your superpowers are going to be those things that are really kind of evident to you and to other people. Uh, The fourth area is practicing loving kindness toward yourself and others. 
And this is something that I think is a real challenge for people. It's it's kind of the self-care part of radical self-trust where you have consideration and affection for yourself and for those around you. And I think that radical self-trust is really about starting to treat yourself as a friend and, you know, starting to feel comfortable with spending time with yourself and reflecting on, you know, like what you need at any given time and not really apologizing for that. Like knowing that at, like I'm an introvert, for example, and if I need to just kind of like be in my cave for the weekend to kind of recover from a long week or from a speaking engagement or whatever it might be, you know, like that's okay. Like that's part of me taking care of myself and ultimately taking care of other people. Um, The fifth area is playfully experimenting, which we already mentioned, um, and that's taking kind of calculated or creative risks in order to learn more about yourself or the world around you. I think that this works really well for people who are starting to feel kind of bored in their work, or maybe they have Mm. like a mid-career malaise. I work with a lot of clients that are getting kind of to mid-career. They don't know what's next. They're starting to feel, you know, pretty bored or just, you know, they need something new. They need something exciting or a new challenge. And so playfully experimenting can be really helpful with that. And then the final one, which is kind of a culminating um, piece of radical self-trust is settling into your life's purpose. And this is really about making a commitment to contribute to the world through your particular constellation of strengths and abilities. And this is going to look really different um, for every person. I think this is the the kind of... um, this is what we're all looking for, right? Like we're, we all want to know, what am I supposed to be doing? What What is the thing that is really going to be my unique contribution to the world? And I think many of us who are um, working in small businesses, like this is really, we get drawn into them because it is connected to what we feel is our life's purpose. And it, there's a lot of value in that. Um, but all of the other pieces that come before that really help you to get to that place. You know, knowing yourself well, living your core values, nurturing your superpowers, you know, all of those things are going to help you to settle more deeply into what you think your life's purpose might be. Awesome. Brilliant. Uh, I want to, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were going through them because I wanted to try and keep it all together. Um, But the crosswalking thing uh, really caught my my ear. Can you give us an example of maybe a to-do list that you had that you did some crosswalking with and and decided to change up? Or I, I guess, can you give us some sort of example of how that, that piece of it works? Yeah, absolutely. So crosswalking is kind of a a research term or an evaluation or assessment term where you kind of, it's an alignment exercise. And um, so I've applied it to this. And a good example would be, you know, if one of my values is around health and wellness, but I look at my weekly to-do list and I'm not really making time to exercise, Mm -hmm. um, this would be a good example of, you know, I'm I'm crosswalking this value and I'm not seeing it show up in my day-to-day life or even in my weekly life. And I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, like work-life balance is not really a daily thing. It's more like a weekly thing or a monthly thing. Mm -hmm. So you can apply the crosswalking, you know, across multiple days or across multiple weeks to kind of see where certain things are showing up. But if something feels really core to your being, your creativity, you know, like what you want to be living out in your life, but you're not seeing it show up, you know, that's the the thing that I think is really um, interesting about crosswalking. The other thing it can lead to is I found sometimes that a couple of my values are in tension with each other. A good example of this is I'm really creative early in the morning. I'm definitely a morning person. I like to get up early. I like to write early in the morning. 
But I also know if I don't work out early in the morning, I'm really not likely to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the rest of the day. Like I really need that morning willpower to get out the door and do a morning workout. And so oftentimes I feel like my value around physical wellness is in conflict with my value around creativity because I always want to kind of do them at the same time of the day. Um, but I also know that if I get out and do the workout, that enhances my brain. It enhances my creativity. It also enhances my ability to do longer term creative work because I'm investing in my physical health. So I can kind of reframe that idea for myself and say, okay, how can I balance these things in my to-do list? So maybe some mornings during the week I do workouts, but other mornings I do that creative work. So the crosswalking can also lead to, I think, larger reflection and conversations with yourself around how are these values really fitting together and how can you balance them in a way that really works for you? Got it. I will so be using that. And I'm also going to so be using that term whenever I possibly can. (laughs) I love it. Um, Katie, what is your vision for radical self-trust and the business that you're building around it? So I think that um, radical self-trust has been a really interesting way to both like plan within my business, but also create products and services around this concept. Because as soon as I started talking about it in a more public way last summer on my podcast and in my blog, people like immediately like flooded me with, you know, like emails and comments. And it was something that people were were really resonating with. Um, And it was interesting because I basically took these elements of radical self-trust. I went back to a blog that I'd had for a couple of years. I blog weekly And I kind of reorganized everything around these concepts, um, around these six things that we just talked about, and everything fit, like everything aligned. Everything I had been writing about for two years was about radical self-trust. I just didn't know what it was. And so it gave me, that gave me also a lot of confidence around sometimes we do things in our businesses and we're not entirely sure why. We, We don't know where it's leading, but we don't know the bigger story. We don't know how it's really going to be fitting into where the business is going to go in the long term. So um, part of my vision for Radical Self-Trust is definitely to create some programming around it. And I do have a group coaching program um, right now that I that I do for people that kind of walks them through the six areas. And I also have a keynote that I offer in the public speaking part of my business that's around Radical Self-Trust. Um, but I also think that this is really for me about how to leverage my own superpowers in my business, like strategic planning um, or like design thinking, And it also helps me decide when I need to outsource something that isn't Mm -hmm. a particular strength of mine. And to to really be honest with myself, I mean, that is such a core part of radical self-trust is that honesty. So it's it's a kind of radical honesty that you're sharing out with the world. Um, But I mean, my my larger vision is really to cultivate radical self-trust in my own life and to help other people to do that too. And there's a lot of richness there in terms of what that can mean for my business in the future. So I'm excited to figure out what that looks like. I am also excited for you to figure out what that looks like. Katie Linder, this has been a phenomenal conversation and I really, really appreciate you kind of uh, peeling back the layers on how you apply radical self-trust in your own business and how we can apply it in our own as well. Thanks, Tara. This was really fun. Find out more about Katie Linder at katielinder.work. Now it's your turn to get candid about confidence. We're hosting an ongoing conversation about confidence on our Instagram handle at Explore What Works. Find today's post about Katie's story and tell us how you feel about showing up and being seen. Do you find confidence in sharing what you're up to? Do you feel like it's just an opportunity for others to judge you? Or is it something else entirely? 
Of course, you can tell your story in your own Instagram feed or story using the hashtag Candid Confidence. Our next Candid Confidence conversation is with attorney Victoria R. Clark. Victoria shares how each step in leveling up her law practice has required her to rethink assumptions, find her own path, and discover a new level of confidence. This episode was produced by Sean McMullen. It was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find more candid conversations and personal reflections about navigating insecurity and finding the confidence to take the next step at explorewhatworks.com slash confidence.